0: 1 Samuel chapter 18, those of you who've been uh, here last week know that we are in the middle of uh, a series in the life of David, and so uh, last week we looked at David and Goliath in chapter 17, and uh, Jesus, our champion, as David was their champion, and now today we're looking at 1 Samuel 18, beginning there, we're going to be actually in 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. Now you know why I was a little late, Okay. Um, we're going to be looking at friendship in David and Jonathan. So let me read the first five verses of chapter 18, and then we will get to work in the text this morning. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David. And because he loved him as his own soul, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow and belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Father in heaven, we come to you asking for the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to Be covenant friends, as were David and Jonathan. Father, I need help. God, I need help in in being a better friend, in being more committed to caring for people. Father, I pray that you would put it in our hearts to strive for this kind of relationship. We thank you, Jesus, that we have a friend in you. Lord, you're the perfect friend. Help us to be like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever you talk about friendship, I'm always um, uh, afraid that uh, you're going to have the wrong picture in your mind. And today's passage will surely straighten that out, okay? Uh, When I talk about friendship, I don't mean just people you hang out with, people you know, people that you uh, go to NASCAR races with or uh, anything like that. Um really I'm thinking much deeper than that, really a Saul and Jonathan type of friendship. I was telling the other services that uh my, my wife says lots of nice things to me, but I think the thing that means maybe the most to me when she says it is every once in a while she will say, she'll say, Jason, you're my best friend. And uh I know that she means that in in a David and Jonathan type of friendship. And uh I want you to have that. I want you to strive for that. I know that those of you who have been at Lincoln a long time, you're breathing a big sigh and you're saying that dude is hitting Christ Center relationships again, you know. And you knew it was coming, didn't you? You looked on the calendar and you said, small groups two weeks away. Yeah, he's gonna do it, you know. Uh, yeah, you're right. I don't hide nothing. All right, so it's everywhere. Um, you can't miss it in the Bible. Uh, the Trinity. God is, God is Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in an eternal friendship. Book of Proverbs, packed with verses on friendship. Proverbs eighteen twenty four. there's a friend who sits closer than a brother. John 15, 5, fifteen fifteen, when Jesus speaks to his disciples the night before his crucifixion, he tells them, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Romans 12:10, 2 Peter 1, 7, tell us, command us to strive to love one another with brotherly affection. The word brotherly affection is the root word for John 15, 15, friend, okay? So friendship really encompasses what God has designed for us to be toward one another. And here's the reality that, that I feel like I'm fighting against this morning. After doing over 100 funerals, 125, I think, around in this church, one of the things that I've painfully recognized is that many people will live and die without friends. Okay, Now, I'm not saying they they live and die without people they know. I'm not saying they they live and die without family. But but I I am pretty confident that a large group of people live and die without the kind of friendship that you're going to see in today's passage. And to me, that is a heartbreaking shame. I really feel like it's uh, it's it's akin to, to to having a a chest full of gold bars buried in your backyard, and and some folks some folks never even try to dig it up, and I feel that like that's the case with many people in friendships. They they don't ever really try to 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 have what the Bible shows us in this passage. I think other folks they they take their shovel out with great zeal and they dig two holes about ten foot apart. Nothing. And they throw their shovel on the ground and they go inside and resolve never to do that again. And I think other people are out there and they're digging like mad with their slipper. They've taken their slipper off and they're they're trying to dig holes with their in other words, they're they're using the wrong tool. I see all three of those groups of people uh, today. People that that really don't attempt to have friendships, people that have tried a couple times and it was hard. Yep, you got yep, you were you were exactly right on and then other folks that are trying, but they're sabotaging themselves by using the wrong tools. And so we've got a gem of a passage today, a gem of a picture. Holy Spirit was so good to us in in just including this extended pictures of friendship between these two men, Jonathan and David. What you see happening in chapter 18 is really unusual because what I would call this is instant friendship, okay? Okay. Uh, I think probably the rule would be that friendship takes a while to cultivate, takes a while to develop, but actually that's not what you see in chapter 18. In chapter 18, verse 1, you see, as soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Now, they've not known each other for very long, okay? Chapter 17 is David coming to, to deliver pizza to his brothers, seeing Goliath dishonoring God, burns him up, he, he, he goes down, he's Israel's champion, cuts the head off the giant, holds it up. The Israelite army is energized, goes in, plunders the Philistines. They come back. This conversation takes place and it says that the soul of David was knit to the soul of Jonathan. Okay? These guys become instant friends is really what we see. Okay, now, what what we see in instant friendship, what must be necessary, what 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 enables these two guys' souls to be melded together immediately, is that the foundation of friendship is a common love. Okay, now we already know that, right? Um, we already know that people, people are friends usually because they love the same thing. They like the same things. They do the same things, right? They, they go to the same place, right? They go, they, they go to the same diner in the morning, or they, they have the same job, or they're, you know, whatever. I mean, there's usually some kind of foundational element that they have in common that brings them together, okay? But what we see here in this passage is we see two guys that are passionate about a really great thing. Okay, which makes them really great friends. Now you already know David. Okay, if you're here last week, you already know David. You know what he's about. He's about the glory of God, right? He's about the mission of God. He's about God being honored. He's a, he's about he's about God's people being who they ought to be. He is passionate and willing to put his life on the line for that. Okay, that's who David is. What kind of guy is Jonathan? Well, if you go back a couple chapters into into First Samuel chapter fourteen. Uh, We have a a situation where Israel is camped here and the Philistines are camped here. And here's what Jonathan says in verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Okay, so what, what, what kind of guy is Jonathan? Well, Here's the kind of guy he is. He takes his armor bearer. And he says, hey, let's go pick a fight with the Philistines. And let's just see what God does, right? Let's see if God won't help us. God can do anything. I've got great confidence in God. It's just me and you. Let's go. And he goes and he climbs up on a little rocky crag. And if you know the story, he, he kind of, the Philistines see him and then and they, they approach and, and, and he kills 20 men. He t- kills 20 Philistines on the little rocky crag. And Israel is energized into the battle. What kind of guy is Jonathan? He's the same kind of guy as David, isn't he? I mean, the, these are two guys that love the same things, okay? These are two guys that have a, have a common mission, a common passion for God, a common trust and confidence and delight in God, okay? And that's the way friendships work. These guys' souls are knit together because they love the right things. All right, now, understanding that principle, it's not a hard one, but understanding that principle gives us a real clue in how to develop great friendships, okay? You develop great friendships when you love great things, okay? You want better friends? I, I, I've had lots of people tell me that before. I want better friends. I wish I had a, a friend that was really committed to me. I wish I had a friend that was really, you know, could, could, could steer me in the right direction. I wish I had a friend that, you know, didn't lead me astray, okay? You want better friends? Love better things, Okay? If you love better things, you will will eventually have better friends. If you you have a a passion for the mission of God, guess who's going to be attracted to you? Guess who you're going to be attracted to? Guess who God's going to put you in the path of? He's going to put you in the path of other people who have a passion for those same things. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, Those who have nothing can share nothing, and those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. That's a great phrase there. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. It's hard to have, go, have someone go with you if you're not going anywhere, right? I mean, if I say, hey, guys, come on, let's go, and then I sit down, okay? You're probably not going to be real energized to go with me because I'm not going anywhere. And in the same way, if you're not going anywhere in your faith, if you're not going anywhere in your love for Christ, and your mission of the gospel, it's very hard to have friends who are going with you. Or going in the right place. It just doesn't inspire people. So David and Jonathan have this common passion and and mission of God. think about think about this. what what if you don't have that? what if what if honestly the mission of your life, what if what you devote most of your time to, and this is actually true of a lot of people, is your own comfort and your own self-exaltation, okay? So you're basically about you. you know you you want a good life, you want an easy life, you want a comfortable life, you want nobody to bother you. Uh, you want things to be, you want to be able to relax. What if that's the mission and passion of your life, you know? And, and your greatest routine is, is griping about those things in your life that don't make it easy and nice and comfortable. Okay. Let me just tell you, that's not a real inspiring thing for friendship. Okay. You know, if you advertise that, just try to P- put that in the classifieds, you know, looking for a friend. I love to exalt myself to be comfortable, to rest a lot and uh, and gripe about those things that, uh, that 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 don't make my life easy. Who would like to go with me? Who would like to be that with me forever? Okay? I don't think you have many people answer and if you do have somebody answer, they're surely not going to be the great friend to you, okay? I mean if, if they're the type of person that's the way they want to spend their life, I mean you're not going to have great friendships. And so a very core part of friendship is loving the right things. Loving the right mission, being the right kind of person. And so these two guys, Saul and David, really, I'm sorry, Saul and David, yeah, they're enemies, okay? Jonathan and David, they become, I read Saul when I looked down at my Bible, they become instant friends, okay? Their souls are knit together, and then what happens next is, is really a fabulous thing, okay? And it happens right away. That's really the fabulous thing about it. But right away in verse 3, it says, Then Jonathan made a covenant... With David? because he loved him as his own soul. okay so verse three, Jonathan makes a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now let me ask you first of all, what is a covenant? What is a covenant? A covenant is a is a binding agreement, okay? Um, but but it's a little different than many agreements that we find today, okay? Um, Peg's not here. She just left. So let's use her as an example. Um, (laughs) let's say that you go to Sonic. Some of you, I've I've actually seen you in the drive-thru frequently. You have a, a, a close relationship with Sonic. Okay. You love their Dr. Pepper. You love their Coney dogs, whatever. Okay. Great. Awesome. Okay. So, and let's say you, you frequent the place three, four times a week. That's not uncommon. All right. But what if, what if you go there one, one week on Monday and you get a watered down doctor. Isn't there there's nothing more disappointing than that, is there? You know, when you're expecting like a, a nice, you know, syrupy pop and you get carbonated water, okay? And your and your Coney dog has something suspicious in it, you know, you think it might be hamburger, maybe it's not. This is all made up, by the way. Don't tell Peggy I said that, you know. Okay. Let's let's say you get that, you know, on Monday, and, and probably because you have this agreement, you'll probably go back on Wednesday and try it again. And let's say you get the exact same thing on Wednesday. I'm telling you, I know most of you, two times, where would you be? You'd be Carl's Jr., you'd be at Chicken Express, you'd be somewhere else, wouldn't you? You know why? Because you have an if-then relationship. OK, there's a lot of those, by the way, if then relationships, if then relationships are if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. OK, so so if you treat me a certain way, then I'll treat you a, a, a certain way. OK, there they're, they're if then relationships, my friends, that is not the kind of friendship that we have here. OK, so what we see here in this passage is these two guys are knit together and immediately Jonathan makes a covenant with David. Now, a covenant is different from an if-then relationship because a covenant says, this is what I promise to be for you. If those of you who were at uh, uh, the God story on Wednesday, you know we went through uh, creation fall flood. Uh, creation fall flood, promises, that's where we ended. And promises, in, in Genesis 12, it's where it begins, the covenant of Abraham. And if you remember that covenant with Abraham, here, here's, what, here's what happens. Abraham's just minding his own business, and God appears to Abraham, and in verse 2 he says, listen, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, so you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and on him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the, 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 the families of the earth, you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. Now, that's a covenant. You see, God's showing up and he's saying, I'm going to be this for you forever. Marriage is a covenant, by the way. Aren't you glad that that marriage doesn't go like this? Aren't you glad that marriage doesn't go, you know, I get up there with him and I say, okay, honey, as long as you're healthy and as long as uh, things are better for us and as long as we're rich... I promise that I will stay with you. That's not much of a marriage, okay? And, And marriage doesn't work that way because marriage is a covenant, okay? And so as a covenant, I stand before my bride and I say, Honey, I promise in sickness and health, you know, for richer or poorer, till death do us part, I will be this for you. Okay, that's a covenant. A covenant says, this is what I'm going to be for you for life. All right, so notice that as their souls are knit together because they're on the same page and they love the same things and they're passionate about the glory of God, and so their souls are knit together, and immediately, Jonathan makes a friendship covenant with David. Basically, he says, I'm going to be this for you forever. I'm going to be for you. I'm going to be behind you. I'm going to be your friend forever. Okay? Now, now here's where a lot of friendships, honestly, they fall out, okay? A lot of friendships fall out at this point because friendship is hard, okay? And and it's not easy to maintain. And our schedules are difficult. And and we don't naturally run across each other. And it takes sacrifice and time and effort. Well, let me just tell you, chapter 18, when Jonathan makes the covenant with David, that is as easy as it will ever be for them, okay? That's as easy as it's ever going to be. You know what happens right after this? Saul, who's going crazy as it is because he's rebelled against the Lord, Saul gets it in his head that David is his number one threat, and Saul commits his life to killing David. Now, how hard is it to be friends with somebody whose dad's trying to kill you, okay? I mean, just imagine, how hard would it be for me and Jonathan to be friends if Jeff had his shotgun in his plumbing truck, and every time he saw me, he stopped, pulled over, and took a shot at my car, you know? I mean, how... How how hard would that for me to be a friend to Jonathan? I mean, how, would I want to go over to his house? Hey, Jonathan, I'll pick you up. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, Jeff's going to be waiting there in the bushes, you know. I mean, that's literally, literally, that is the situation. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Almost. I mean, that's the situation. So Jonathan makes this covenant with David, and then his dad sets out on the rest of his life an attempt to kill David. All right, so from now on, these guys have to meet in secret. From now on, they've got to to plan their meeting and have signals and signs, and they both risk their life every time they get together. But they get together the rest of of Jonathan's life. Why? Because they made a covenant. The Bible wants you to realize this, it wants you to to see this. Notice, okay, so 1 Samuel 18, they make a covenant. 1 Samuel 20, look at verse 16. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. 1 Samuel 20, verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you. That's what a covenant is. Have you noticed we do that in marriage, by the way? In marriage, when when I stand up here, what what do I say? I I say, you know, honey, I, I commit before God and these witnesses. Isn't that what we always say? You know, the marriage covenant is basically me bringing God in and saying, all right, God, you be witness between him and I. I promise the rest of my life to take care of her and to love her and to cherish her. And God, I'm bringing you in as my witness. Jonathan and David do that. They bring God in. Now, I'm, I'm going to be for you for the rest of your life, and God is my witness. 1 Samuel 23, this is the last time they were together, and they renew the covenant. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David remained at Huresh and Jonathan went home. I mean, I mean what, what the Bible wants you to see here is that this kind of friendship takes a covenant commitment. You know, usually we think of Jonathan. You know, always in a friendship, isn't this kind of true? You got like the good friend and the mediocre friend. You know, isn't that mostly true in friendships? You know, you got the guy that's kind of, you know, the lady that's, you know, really the investor, and the other person is not so much. You almost always think Jonathan is the the, the better friend here than David because he's the one that truly really risks the most and and gives up the most to be David's friend. But but interesting thing, after Jonathan's death, this covenant still takes place for David. Okay, so we go clear to Second Samuel chapter. 9, David is king. All of his enemies are are, are vanquished and he's reigning in Jerusalem. And David says in 2 Samuel 9 1, by the way, we'll hit this passage here in a couple months. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? I mean, after this guy has died, David is looking for relatives of Jonathan so that he can take care of them. That's part of his commitment that he made to Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18. That, my friends, is friendship. Can you imagine a church full of people that are committed to each other at that level? What are the hindrances to friendship? Well, one of them that I see right away I, th- I think you guys are with me. First of all, I-, I think you're probably with me on 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 the common interests, right? I mean, we got to be passionate about you know you got to love the b- great things in order to have a great friend. I think you're probably with me. I think you're with me on this covenant thing. You know, just being for somebody. It's not an if then, but it's I'm I'm with you. I'm for you, no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter where you know where what what trials you go through, I am for you. Okay, I think you're probably with me here. I think this one, okay, this obstacle here that we see, I think it's going to be big because I. think... We don't have a very good picture of this in our society. But, but friendship, godly friendship, demands transparency. It demands that we, we are willing to show who we really are. You remember when I read John 15, 15 at the beginning, and Jesus told his disciples, I don't call you a servant, I call you a friend. Why? What, what was the reason why? Remember that? He said, because I've, I've showed you all that my Father has shown me. Right, I've, I've revealed to you the will of the Father. In other words, I've let you into my life. I've, I've shown you my plan. I've shown you myself. Okay, Friendship involves men and women who are willing not to hide, not to pretend, not, 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 not to put on a facade, but they're willing to show who they really are. All right, are you ready for the passage? You're going to stumble over it. I'm telling you, you're going to trip. Okay? First Samuel twenty, verse forty one. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times, and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Now I want you to be honest. What if you came in? What if you came in to church one day and you saw Fred and John just weeping on each other's necks and kissing one another? What would you think? Come on, what would you think? You're all spiritual people. You'd think, man, there's a great friendship. That's what you'd think, wouldn't it? Yeah, okay, that's great. I'm glad that you're you're like that. Okay. Um I think what most people would think is I, I'm I would never do that. I, I've had guys in this church tell me, I, I'm I'm not gonna tell people when I'm struggling. Because I don't want them judging me. It's huge. Fact, guys, just tell me that I'm just not going to. I'm I'm not I'm not going to have accountability. I'm not going to tell people when I'm struggling. I'm not going to tell people when I'm hurting. I'm not going to tell people when I'm when my marriage is having trouble. I'm not telling anybody. When my kids are falling apart, I'm not going to tell anybody. When when I made a stupid financial decision and we we're up to our eyeballs in debt, I we are not telling anybody. We are hiding that from everybody. Please understand. If that is your mode of operation, you'll be one of those peoples that lives and dies, and somebody does your funeral, and you've never had a friend. Because friendship demands that that we be transparent. Friendship demands that we open up our life to other people. Man, David and Jonathan did that on a deep level. I mean, here here you got two warriors, you know? You, You know what's so sad about that? What's so sad about that is our, our, our culture, I've seen this on the internet, I've even had people argue this with me, our culture takes a passage like that and combines it with a couple others and, and, and they say David and Jonathan were homosexuals, okay? Now, first of all, if, if, you, if you even read the scriptures at a, at a skimming level, you know, you, you realize real quickly that that is not David's sin, Okay. David's sin is he likes to look at naked women from his rooftop, all right? I mean, honestly, that's David's sin, all right? I mean, he's as far from a homosexual as you're going to get, okay? But, but I think the reason that, that, that people go there is, number one, they don't know what to do with a passage like that. They don't know men who, who don't pose and pretend, you know? I mean, when, when guys in our culture are sad, we hide it. We might cry, but we get in a truck and drive 23 miles out in the country, you know, to do it. We're not going to do it in front of anybody else. I think we, we don't have a picture of this kind of friendship. You know, probably the most impressive thing about this friendship, and I think it's the most important thing, actually, is in chapter 23. Go to 1 Samuel 23. This is the last time they meet. And I want to read you this, this couple section here, okay? So 1 Samuel 23, beginning in verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose, and he went to David at Horish, and he strengthened his hand in God. Okay, so very practical point here. If we're ever going to build friendships like David and Jonathan, we have to be intentional about... Wanting to strengthen the faith of our brother or sister in Christ, okay? Now, at this point in the sermon, we're going to pause, and we're going to have a little commercial for our small group ministry, okay? So, small groups coming up here in a couple weeks, and our our theme verse for small groups is Romans 1, 11 and 12. It says, Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, okay? So, Paul very clearly says there, I want to get together with you so that I can strengthen you spiritually and you can strengthen me spiritually so that we can get together and our faith is built up Because we're together, because the Spirit of God is working through one another. Okay, that's the end of the commercial. Now back to the sermon, okay? So what we see happening in the sermon is exactly what we want to happen in our small group ministry, okay? Let me give you the context of chapter 23. Why is Jonathan going to David at this point? Well, if you read 22 and 23, what you find is that David is hiding in the hills from Saul, okay? They're living in caves. They're constantly on the run. But David still has it in his heart to be on mission for God. I mean, it's the beautiful thing about David is he wants the glory of God. That's his passion. A lot of times when people come under adversity or difficulty or struggle in their life... That, man the first thing to go is the mission of God they stop thinking about that and they're all on how do I make my life better more comfortable not David even while David is on the run his passion is for God to be exalted and for Israel to be rescued and so he hears about a city called Killah, right on the outskirts of Israel and it's being attacked by the Philistines now the king Saul who should be rescuing them he's not why is he not because he's consumed with his own glory and he's trying to hunt down and kill David and so David calls the Lord and said, Lord, you want us to go rescue that city? And God says, go. And so David takes his 600 men and they go to Keilah and they fight a battle against the Philistines and they win and they deliver the city. And I picture for the first night, for the first night in a long time, David actually gets to sleep in a bed, you know, and the guys get to take showers. I mean, they're heroes in the city. They've just conquered the Philistines and saved the city. And then Saul hears about it. Saul hears about David rescuing one of Israel's cities. Guess what Saul does? He Sends his entire army to Kilah to crush that city and kill David. So David calls on the Lord and he says, Lord, I don't, I don't want to leave here. I don't want to go back out in the rocks. Lord, we've rescued this city. Will they protect us? Will this city that just we just rescued, will they protect us? God says, no, they'll give you over. How discouraging would it be to to risk your life for somebody, and they turn around and stab you in the back. That's exactly what what happened to David at Kelah, okay? And so with their heads hung, they run out of the city. They got to leave. They got to go back to the rocks. They got to go back to, to hiding, okay? And it's in that context, it's in that context that Jonathan leaves the army of Israel, and he goes to find David. Okay? So that's what's happening here in chapter 23. Jonathan is going to find David. Why? Because David's in a in a difficult spot. He's in a despairing spot. He's in a discouraging spot in his life. And it says Jonathan Saul's son rose and he went to David at Horish. And what did he do? He strengthened his hand in God. Now notice. Jonathan's purpose here is not to strengthen David militarily, okay? He didn't bring David arrows and swords and clubs, okay? His purpose is really not to strengthen him physically. He didn't bring him food or water. His purpose is higher than both of those. His purpose is to strengthen his hand. What what in God, right? It says that. He came he met David to at Horus to strengthen his hand in God. Now, what, what exactly does that mean? What that means is, is Jonathan is going to his friend to build up his friend's confidence in God. To build up his friend's faith in God. To build up his friend's hope in God. That, that's Jonathan's aim. Jonathan is going there and in his conversation and in his actions, his purpose is, I'm going to build up my friend's faith. Friends, that is a friendship. That's a friendship. That's what God intends for friendship to be. It's for you to have these kind of covenantal relationships where you are for somebody forever. And and when they're down, when they're despairing, when they're discouraged, when they've had a tough time, you you go, you interact, you you engage with the purpose of strengthening that person in God. So how exactly does, does Jonathan do that? We'll look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, and this is what Jonathan said to David, and he said to them, Do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. So what is, what, how does Jonathan encourage David? He encourages him with the word of God. That's, that's essentially what he does. Okay? Why do I say the word of God? How does Jonathan know that David's going to be king? He knows that because Samuel anointed David king. Jonathan knows it is God's plan, it is God's providence, it is God's word that David's going to be the next king of Israel, okay? Now, notice here, Jonathan is giving up his own right to be king. I mean, he really did that in chapter 18. You remember the exchange of armor? Why does does Jonathan take off his robe and put it on David, take off his sword and give it to David, take off his armor and give it to David? You know what he's doing? He's transferring. He's saying, man, God has anointed you king, not me. What a friend. You, you you, You know who's like that? Jesus is like that, is he not? I mean, that that's Jesus. That—that That is the mind of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, we, we learn about what's called the mind of Christ. And, and it says in verse 3, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among you which is all yours in Christ Jesus. That's the mind of Jesus. The, the kind of heart that says, you know what? Man, I'm putting your interest before my own. I'm putting your best before mine. I'm, I'm putting your... you your life before my life. That's what Jonathan essentially does for David, okay? And he encourages him in, in, in God. He builds up his hope. He says, David, you got to believe the word of God. You got to believe what God has said. You got to trust what God has said. It's going to come through. No matter, no matter how, how impossible it may seem right now, no matter how difficult it may seem right now, David, you've got to trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Man, what a beautiful thing to have a small group full of people like that. Would you just imagine in your mind right now, imagine in your mind, a a Sunday school class, a small group, a church full of people. Maybe not all, it'll never be all the people, but full of people who, who are all passionate about the mission and the glory of God. And their souls are knit together because they love the same things. Imagine a group of people who make a commitment that I'm gonna be for you. You're my friend, and what that means is, no matter what happens, I'm coming after you. And my intent in your life is to build up your faith in God. And I'm gonna do that through reminding you of God's plan, reminding you of God's providence, reminding you of what God has done. Can you imagine, can you imagine the good things that will come from that? You know, the question that a lot of people ask when they make the decision, should I go to Sunday school? Should I go to a small group? You know, should I should I invite somebody out? You know what a lot of people make that decision on? Do I need it? Do I need it? Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I, I don't, we don't really I don't need that. Okay, that, that's really not even the question. I, number one, I think you're wrong, okay? Uh, but it's really not the question, okay? The question that we ought to be asking is, what could God do through me in these types of of friendships. Friendships in which my intent is to strengthen somebody's hand in God. I mean, I want you to just imagine how many marriages might be saved because the Spirit of God uses you or you or you or you to strengthen some husband or some wife's hand in God. I want you you to think about how many dads might stay involved in their kids' lives because somebody in this church, somebody in this room is obedient to the Lord and strengthening and building up somebody's hand in God. They intentionally are a friend to somebody, and, and, and as, that, as that friend begins to stray away and fall away, they, 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 they plug in there and invest and strengthen their hope and remind them of God's promises and remind them of who they are. Man, how, how many kids might not turn to a destructive pattern of life because God uses somebody in this room to strengthen their hope in God. How many people keep sharing the gospel? How how many people might continue in faith because someone was a friend to them? You know, I think Jonathan was able to be this kind of friend because Jonathan did not have the identity problems that so many of us have. You know, in, in chapter 23, verse 17, verse we just read, look at it. And he said to him, Do not fear for the hand of Saul. My father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Man, you know what I love about that? Jonathan knows exactly who he is in Christ and he loves it. That that's not the case for most of us, is it? Most of us spend a lot of our lives trying to prove that we're somebody. Don't we? You know, you, know how, you know how contrary to friendship that is? If if whenever I'm with somebody, I'm trying to convince them that I'm important, you know? Man, that, that's hard when you're a pastor, you know? I mean, trying to convince somebody that you're important, you know? What do you produce, you know? I mean, that, that's, if, I, if I'm continually trying to show my, my worth, if I'm continually trying to show that I, I'm really worth something and I'm really valuable, man, that, that's a detriment to friendship. You got a guy like Jonathan that just says, David, you're, you're supposed to be king. I'm not. It's my place, it's my right, it's my father, it's my family. God's picked you. Man, I love that. And I'm going to be next to you. Man. Jesus. That's why Jesus was able to serve and be a friend like he was. John 13. It's the Passover meal. Picture Thanksgiving, okay, special meal. All right. It's made in the upper room. It's all prepared. Here come 12 disciples. All of them been walking through muck all day. Their feet are stinky. They're about ready to recline on on little pillows, and their feet are going to be in everybody else's face. And they're all dirty. And usually, if it was a wealthy household, there'd be a servant. There'd be someone at the door. There'd be some water where you you got your feet washed. There's nobody there. Twelve guys walk by, and not one of them takes up a towel. Why? Because they're all jockeying for position. They're they're all bent on. I don't want to look like. The lowest. So Jesus comes in, you know what he does? Takes up the towel, washes the disciples' feet. Why does he do that? Well, look in the scriptures. John thirteen three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and he was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garment, took up a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water in a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He knew it had been given to his hands. And there was no need for him to have to jockey for position. He was able to simply be a friend. I want you to be a friend. I, I don't want you to leave here saying, how come nobody's been a friend to me? Okay, see, when that comes out of your mouth... What are you doing? You're putting that classified in the paper, right? That says what? I'm all about me. I'm all about my comfort. I'm all about my exaltation. Who wants to go on this wonderful ride with me? Okay? And and let me just tell you, nobody does. Okay? Nobody, Nobody wants to go on that ride with me either. Okay? The question we need to ask is, who am I a friend to? Who am I that to? And maybe your answer is nobody. Okay. Man, you're breathing. Y'all look moderately healthy. Hopefully you're gonna live a while longer. This ought to be at the top of your list. I mean this this ought not be a sideline in your life. This ought to be at the top of your list. To be this to others, to be like Jesus, to be like Jonathan. Who stepped down from their position. And took up the role of a servant and poured into somebody else. Man, be that. We've got small groups coming here in a couple weeks. Is small groups the only place you build friendships? Absolutely not, okay? No, no, not at all. Man, this ought to happen anywhere. Why do I keep mentioning the small groups? It's just, it's it's the way that we know to help you, okay? It's the way that we know to help you. Is we want We want you to be in somebody else's house. We want you to... To sit on their couch, we want you to pray with some people. We want you to, we want you to at least be in, have an opportunity to make this work. Be a friend. Let's pray, Father. I just pray for us as a church, God. I, I ask you to uh, to help us to be um, a friend like Jonathan. God, I pray that you would open up our our hearts and minds to be passionate about the right things. Father, to love great things, to, to, to have great friends. Lord, I pray that you would help us in our covenant making. Uh, God, to, to be for people, not not on an if-and or if-then basis, but, but to be for them through, through thick and thin. God, I pray that you would help us to learn the art of strengthening people's hand in God. Lord, help us to, to learn to, to remind others of, of what you've done for them, of who you are in their life, of what you're going to do, of the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, make us that kind of person. Give us those skills. Lord, please do great things with our church. In Jesus' name.